This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror the podcast where we put our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, on the examination table, and we look at them through the lens of disability. We will be talking uh, about the characters that represent the disability experience, and we'll be talking about those themes that resonate uh, particularly with those of us with disabilities. My name is Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you along for the ride. So why am I here? And why a podcast about disability and horror? Well, the simple answer is that uh, I'm an individual with a disability and I love horror. The more complex answer, I guess, is that uh, I've always uh, been a fan of horror from a really young age, sneaking into the living room while my sister would have friends over and they were watching scary movies and I would kind of watch them from behind the couch or, um, you know, someplace where I could hide a little bit. Um, But I was instantly smitten and almost as instantly I was able to draw some parallels between the characters and stories I was seeing uh, playing out and my own experiences as a kiddo with a disability. And as I've gotten older, um, making those connections has only, you know, I think become kind of second nature. Um, and I think part of that is because horror to me has always been personal. Uh, a genre unlike any other where it invites you to connect to it on a very personal level. These are stories about fears um, that we can relate to. Um, They are stories about challenging, painful, difficult um, topics and experiences that we can find some catharsis in. So, um, you know, that's kind of why I was really excited to jump at the opportunity uh, to to do this. Um, but I thought that one of the ways that I could kind of put this more into context and, you know, to kind of create a way for you to get to know me a little better is to kind of uh, talk about two very different films uh, that really shaped the way I look at disability and horror. And um, the first film I'm going to talk about is 1973's The Exorcist. And the second one I'm going to talk about is 1992's Dr. Giggles. I told you they were different. So uh, let's get into it. So the first film I'm going to talk about is The Exorcist. And it's a granddaddy of the genre, really top tier, but I will give a little 
brief synopsis, just in case you haven't seen it. Chris McNeil is a single mom and actress, and she and her teen daughter, Reagan, have just moved to Georgetown in Washington, D.C., so that she can film uh, her latest film on Georgetown campus, directed by Burke Dennings, someone that she's collaborated with uh, a bit in her career. A little bit after uh, they've moved in, Reagan discovers a Ouija board and begins communicating with an entity, um, imaginary friend, uh, that goes by the name of Captain Howdy. Not long after uh, Reagan has made this connection, some weird things begin happening in the house. There are sounds in the attic that kind of sound like rats, and things begin to escalate from there. Uh, Reagan's uh, demeanor and behavior start to change uh, pretty drastically. She starts cussing. Um, she's a little bit despondent. And so her mom seeks out uh, some medical advice and uh, medical intervention. They run a battery of tests and don't find anything that could be causing these changes. And they also consult some psychiatrists and they believe that the changes are psychological and recommend uh, an exorcism more less for the reason of the religious nature of the exorcism but more as kind of like a power of suggestion type intervention so uh Chris is connected to Father Karras, a priest that is kind of in the throes of his own challenges. He's having a bit of a crisis of faith. Uh, his mom is in poor health and uh, just kind of going through his own pains, um, but takes on this case and agrees to do an exorcism alongside Father Marin. Uh, they begin the exorcism and it becomes really difficult for Father Karras to continue because uh, of his kind of difficulty that he's going through. So Father Marin decides to take it on himself and is killed. And so Father Karras uh, completes the exorcism, taking on the demon himself in the last moments and is killed by being tossed out the window and um, kind of tumbles down a very large flight of stairs. Afterwards, we get the closing scene of Chris and Reagan leaving the home after the exorcism is successful. And, uh, you know, we get the mention that Reagan doesn't remember anything and they're just going to kind of start anew. So that's the very, very bare bones general premise of the film. Now you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with disability? Well, 
the first time I watched this, I think I was maybe seven or eight. And I remember I was home uh, recovering from uh, a procedure um, that I had been in the hospital for for a few days. And, you know, was kind of flipping through channels and saw that The Exorcist was on and was kind of intrigued. So when you talk to people about The Exorcist or if you've seen it, there's always those uh, sequences that I think everyone kind of has as kind of knowledge of the film. It's part of the zeitgeist. You know, you've got the head, the moment with the head turning around. You've got the split pea moment. You've got the uh, spider walk down the stairs moment. And you've got the crucifix uh, moment as well. But the scene that always has stood out to me and, and definitely the first time I watched it, the scene that really kind of stuck to my ribs was the scene towards the end of kind of the first third of the film when Chris has taken uh, Reagan to get medical testing to see if there's kind of this physiological uh, answer to what's going on with Reagan. And it's a pretty drawn out and long scene. We have Reagan kind of strapped to an examination table and she we get kind of these uh, back and forth uh, shots of kind of Reagan as you know she is getting kind of the contrast injected into her because they're doing like brain scans and MRIs so they are injecting the contrast and it's you know all of these things are shown pretty explicitly and um, you kind of get the shots of her faces you know all of this is kind of happening around her you know she becomes kind of increasingly uncomfortable uh, the things that are going on are becoming a little bit more painful um, and then you get these shots of her mom Chris in the other room as she's kind of watching the testing go on and she has this look of kind of fear and horror on her face you know wanting to be there to help her daughters her daughters obviously becoming um much more uncomfortable and you know starting to scream out um it's it felt very real to me and as someone that was just you know kind of home on the heels of going through kind of similar experiences um just really hit hard um you know everything from you know the feeling of that examination table that cold examination table no matter how many sheets they put on uh you know on your back um the feeling of you know like i said you're seeing these shots of reagan as she is undergoing these tests and the just fear on her face because she doesn't really have a say in what's going on and she doesn't really probably understand what's going on. Doctors aren't necessarily 
talking to young patients, particularly at that time, I think now things have changed a little bit, but, you know, aren't really explaining the ins and outs of, you know, what this testing is going to entail. And you just see this absolutely uh, growing sense of terror and dread and pain on her face. And it's, uh, it's really, really something, um, powerful in the movie. Um, one of the other things that I think is great about that scene, like I mentioned, you have kind of those interjected shots of Chris as well, you know, wanting to be the parent and be in the room with her to comfort her and not being able to. And, you know, I can imagine that being the situation for a lot of parents. So it's a really well done scene. And I think as someone that was young, I could see a bit of myself in that experience, you know, and I think it really connects with the overall theme of the film, which you know, uh, possession, any kind of possession story is kind of rooted in this idea of someone losing agency over their body. And I think that really does connect to the disability experience, especially for those of us that are born with disabilities, because we don't really often get a say in terms of what's happening to our bodies. Um, we're not really uh, given the agency to talk about what kind of treatments and therapies we want. Um, we can be left in the dark for a bulk of our care, especially as kids. And that can be really, really challenging and can have a huge impact um, down the line. You know, you can develop elements of PTSD because you're going through these kind of horrific tests like Reagan is and, um, you know, not really given the opportunity to really process it because it's just part of a, a an ongoing loop. So it's a scene that really stuck out to me, both just as it's really visceral, um, and I think just as it's playing out, it's easy to connect, but I think it brilliantly... Um, puts the idea of loss of agency in the forefront. So um, it's a really, really great scene. And then at the very end, as I mentioned, when I was doing the synopsis, uh, Chris and Reagan are leaving the house. The exorcism has been successful. Uh, both Marin and Karis are dead. And, you know, there's this mention of, you know, we're leaving now, we're going to start over. She doesn't remember anything. The thing that always stuck out to me, and this kind of connects with what I was just talking about um, in terms of, like, PTSD, is, you know, when Reagan was undergoing these tests, she wasn't fully possessed at that time. 
um, the possession kind of happens. It does kind of happen quickly, but it progresses. And certainly at that time, there was some awareness of herself and of her experience of what she was going through. Um, and so I would think that that would still be kind of locked in there. Um, and something that she could access. And, you know, you see this echoed in other films too, where it's someone has undergone this really traumatic experience, but it's uh, lessened because, uh, well, they don't remember. They have no memory of this event. And it's like, well, but there has to be elements that are still kind of lingering in, in there. Um, and a little bit of that obviously comes into play with The Exorcist in particular in the sequel. Um, but, um, so yeah, that film just, that scene in particular, but The Exorcist, um, was really, I think, a landmark film for me and being able to make, uh, to see myself, um, in, in a really unique way. And so it kind of got me thinking along the lines of, you know, there, there are these stories out there that kind of parallel mine and I'm, I'm interested and I want to seek out more. So that brings me to the second movie I'm going to be talking about, Dr. Giggles. Now, obviously, The Exorcist would fall under the qualification of classic. Um, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Dr. Giggles, I would say, would fall under the camp uh, kind of header, um... At least to me, some may say it falls under cringe, but I I don't know. I just don't know about that. But I'm going to approach this a little bit differently because, you know, just trying to give a truncated plot synopsis is not going to showcase what a tiramisu of what the fuckness this film is. So uh, I'm going to read the plot from Wikipedia. So let's get into it. In the town of Morhai in 1957, the patients of Dr. Evan Rendell kept disappearing. The townspeople found out the father and son duo had been ripping out patients' hearts in an attempt to bring back the doctor's dead wife. The townspeople stoned Dr. Rendell to death, but Evan Jr. disappeared. 35 years later, the adult Evan Jr., nicknamed Dr. Giggles for his hideous laugh and insatiable obsession to follow in his father's footsteps, escapes from a mental asylum, killing everyone in his path. In Morhai, 19-year-old Jennifer, her boyfriend Max, and their friends are planning their summer break. Jennifer, already upset by family trouble, is further distressed from having a heart condition and being forced to wear a heart monitor. Dr. Giggles returns to his childhood home, goes through Evan Senior's files, and gathers a list of names. He begins stalking and killing several residents, including Jennifer's friends. 
After a party, Jennifer becomes fed up with her heart monitor and dumps it in a fish tank. Jennifer's father finds it and leaves to look for her. Dr. Giggles shows up and kills the father's girlfriend. Jennifer returns to the party and sees Max kissing another girl. Distraught, she runs into the house of Mears. Dr. Giggles notices Jennifer has the same heart condition as his mother and goes after her. He kills the girl that Max was kissing, but Jennifer sees him coming and escapes. Officer Hank and Officer Joe find her and take her to the police station. Officer Hank explains to Joe how Evan Jr. had escaped. He was on guard duty at the morgue housing the bodies of Dr. Rendell and his wife. Investigating a giggle, he witnessed Evan Jr. cutting his way out of his mother's body with a scalpel. He realized that Rendell had cut open his wife's body, stuffed his son in, and sewn it shut. Upon being threatened by Evan Jr., Hank passes out from shock. When he woke up, Rendell's wife's corpse had been re-sewn and all traces of the event at the morgue had been wiped clean. The experience has left Hank an alcoholic and an insomniac. Dr. Giggles makes his way to Jennifer's house and attacks her father. Officer Hank goes to investigate Jennifer's house and finds her father there lying in a pool of blood. Dr. Giggles mortally wounds Hank, who recognizing Evan Jr., shoots and wounds him before dying. Officer Joe arrives soon after, finding his partner dead and Jennifer's father wounded but alive. Meanwhile, Dr. Giggles returns to his hideout, performing surgery on himself to remove the bullet. He kidnaps Jennifer and tells her his plan to replace her broken heart with one he took from her friends. Uh, Officer Joe and Max arrive. While Joe distracts Dr. Giggles, Max and Jennifer escape. Dr. Giggles kills Joe, but his father's house explodes and collapses on him. At the hospital, Jennifer learns that the events of the evening have damaged her heart, requiring immediate surgery. While she is being prepped, Dr. Giggles reappears and cuts a bloody path through the hospital staff. He chases her to a janitor's closet. Jennifer ambushes and finally kills Dr. Giggles with one of his own instruments. Before dying, Giggles breaks the fourth wall, staring at the camera and asking, Is there a doctor in the house? Recovering in the hospital, Jennifer is visited by Max and her father. And that, my friends, is Dr. Giggles. So this is a film that... I saw, I think, when I was maybe 11 or 12 um, on cable, and it became a movie that I have come to adore um, and was just in love with. But one thing that really stuck out to me about it is the fact that the character... Of Jennifer, kind of our main lead, uh, had a heart condition and needed a heart monitor. And I have a heart condition and um, would have to spend lots of time 
on a heart monitor to help kind of make sure things are in check um, following procedures, surgeries, um, and to help kind of uh, see if there were activities that, you know, would cause, um, you know, spikes in blood pressure and all of those things. So um, I found all of that really relatable. And I remember taking this uh, taking this movie to uh, a slumber party so that we I could watch it with friends. And it actually kind of gave me an opportunity to talk about, you know, the fact that I had a heart monitor that I had to use pretty frequently. And, um, you know, it just kind of broke down, I think, a barrier. Like when you're a teenager, all you want to do is fit in. And obviously when you have a heart monitor strapped to you, um, that's a little challenging. And this movie does go a little bit into that, you know, there's that sequence where she's at this party with friends and, you know, when she gets a heart monitor, it's explained, you know, try not to do a lot of, uh, kind of, uh, really trying activities, like try to stay calm, try to keep, keep things kind of nice and easy, um, and don't overexert yourself. And so, you know, it's, she has just graduated high school, her friends want to party, but she can't drink, she can't smoke, um, you know, she's not allowed to be overly active, so, um, in that moment of frustration, she's like, I'm just going to dump this heart monitor and screw it. And that's really, I think, regardless of how long you've had a condition, I think that's something that's really relatable. And I was like, yeah, I totally get that. Um, so it, being able to have that film, uh, kind of in my repertoire was really a cool thing because it, allowed me to kind of explain a bit of my experience to friends. Um, another kind of component to the movie, and I talked a little bit about this with The Exorcist, is kind of the fear um, of medical procedures and doctors that, um, you know, when you spend so much time uh, going through kind of the medical system and subjected to lots of tests and all of that, not every experience is going to be good. Um, and you're going to have a lot of scary and intense experiences and that can be, you know, kind of traumatic. And so, you know, it goes without saying that Jennifer would have residue of that, um, going forward. So, um, yeah, it was, I absolutely love this movie. I watch it with some regularity at least once or twice a year. Um, but it was really a film, at, I think a crucial age. So like with the exorcist where I was able to kind of see myself as a young kid, um, going through, um, some difficult experiences, this kind of showed, 
uh, an older character and kind of this different phase of, well, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm a teenager. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to do all the things that my friends are doing. And I can't because I'm tethered to this machine and I have this condition and nobody really understands it. And how, how do I talk about it? And so, you know, of all of the things that this film presented, it, you know, it kind of gave me a language to uh, talk about my experiences with my friends at a slumber party. So it's definitely a film that I, yeah, can't say enough good things about. It's cheesy, it's fun, it's ridiculous, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so that is Dr. Giggles. So I hope that, you know, talking a little bit about myself and a couple of films that were really important to me in terms of being able to see my disability experience and my identity um, rooted in, in a couple of horror films helped you get to know me a little bit. Um, and I think it was really important for me to have an episode where I could talk a little bit about that because disability isn't a monolith. All of our experiences are so varied. And, you know, as we talk about different themes and characters, obviously my my reaction, my take to that is going to be uh, really heavily informed by my own experiences. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, this is all kind of my thoughts and feelings and, um, you know, mileage may vary. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you had a great time. Um, and I, I hope that you're excited for the future. Uh, the next episode is going to be a doozy and I cannot wait uh, we're going to be looking at uh, two icons in the slasher world and look at them from the disability lens because they are characters with disabilities. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm sure you've probably figured out who they are, but it's going to be a fun one and I can't. So thank you so much for listening again. It really means a lot, and it would also mean a lot if you would take a moment to rate, review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. I'm a new kid on the block, and all of that really, really helps. And while you're at it, be sure to check out all of the other uh, content on the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network. There is a lot of great stuff coming up, and I think you will enjoy it all as well. If you want to reach out to me, that would be wonderful. I can be reached on the socials. I am Nicole and I see, don't forget the H O L E in DC on Twitter. And I can also be reached uh, via email at bodies of at gmail.com.
So until next time, have a good one. Squad.